And I would ask the question, if I'm so good, why am I so scared? Because no one ever explained to me that the physiological changes, the state changes, parasympathetic, sympathetic, overthinking, butterflies, sweaty palms. No one ever said, dude, that's just adrenaline. That's just you getting ready for action. I assumed it was, I suck. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Coach Tony Blauer has been in the martial art, self-defense, defensive tactics, and combatives industry for over four decades. His research on physiology and mindset as it relates to confrontation management has influenced over three decades of reality-based martial artists and enhanced the survivability of law enforcement, military, and emergency services personnel around the world. Today, we talk about how to face your fear, situational awareness, and how it relates to self-awareness, intuition, and mindset training for doing hard things. You're going to enjoy this lively discussion with Coach as he shares 40 years of wisdom with us. Let's get to it. Tony, welcome to The Forge. I know you're a busy guy. It took us a little while to get you scheduled, so I want to start by saying thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. And I have to say, I don't know you personally, but digging into your background, you seem like a pretty hardcore, intense guy. <laughs> is that, is you think that, is that an accurate this description? Is, Am I getting it, this right? It, it's funny, and this is, you know, it's, and you guys will dig this and understand this, but you know, what other people like go, yeah, I didn't want to ask him a question because I thought he was going to like punch me or my, my, <laughs> my daughter, my, my daughter will come home and she'll go, all my friends think you want to kill them. And they're like, so scared of you. <laughs> and so I'm like, perfect. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm just a nice guy, like whatever. And there's, I overthink everything, which is why I've created the systems that I have. And so instead of arresting bitch face, I've got this, this, this is my, okay, Tony, like, is he ready to kill? I probably am. But anyways, in all, in all seriousness, like when people say, man, you're so intense. I'm like, what are you talking about? Right? Me? Not, what? But I guess I am. I mean, I'm always, I'm always freaking visualizing shit and thinking about things. So. Well, I'm going to commend you because growing up with a father that always threatened the men that I would bring home, I'm going to tell you having your daughter's friends be a little scared of you is a good thing. I think it's a really great thing. Plus it makes her great stories when she gets older, right? Maybe, but she's, she's turning 24. My other one's oh. 19 and we're way past that. They're like, stop it, dad. They're, they're not even like, you know, like, Hey, what time are you coming home? Dad, I'll see you tomorrow. Right? I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's none of your business. Yeah, <laughs> sleeping at a girlfriend's house, right? Yeah, you don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh boy. Well, Tony, I, I see for the for those of our listeners that are uh, listening to the audio cast and not seeing us on YouTube, you're wearing a No Fear T-shirt, which we're going to talk to you about here in a second. But yeah. I got to start off with the background. I assume we're looking at not real people, not <laughs> combat people. But tell us, where are we? Well, a lot of your listeners will recognize them if they're watching the video. But those are the Bob dummies out of gotcha. from Century Products, and they scare the shit out of 
people every so often what i'll do because you know i'm in i'm in our our garage which does not house any any vehicles it's just training equipment self-defense martial arts combatives firearm shit there's stuff on this side that you can't see heavy bags but the uh the family will come in here to get stuff so every so often i'll like i'll move the bob closer put a hat on and a shirt <laughs> and you know you'll come in they'll come in at night and you'll hear a ah like like oh sorry because they in in the dark they're kind of scary so yeah they're not they're not real but they're amazing especially with the last year and a half we've had they're amazing tools if you've got to train alone you can't be working with a partner gotcha yeah what, what a great lead into let's talk about fear. I mean, you're talking about these things, scaring people and your shirt, by the way, for those of you that are listening to the, the audio, you don't know it, it's K N O W fear, no fear, K N O W, not N O fear. Back when I was a young man, they used to have all these t-shirts that said no fear, N O fear. Right. Yeah. And so you're quoted as saying you can't be brave if you're not afraid. Mm. So what is this idea of actually being fearless or without fear? Is that, number one, is that a real thing? And number two, is that where we want to be? So no, great questions. And, and but a couple steps back, I teach people how to manage violence and I teach people how to manage fear. I teach them about, about the emotional psychological arsenal to handle violence, whether it's emotional violence or whether it's physical violence. And I realized back in the 80s, so I've been teaching now like over 40 years. I started teaching in 1977. I realized in the 80s, which is kind of my incubator period, where like the three elements of my company that are now like divisions in our company, where we started almost like, you know, when you, when you look back and you go, oh, those guys were no budget working in their garage after you know, after their regular job, because they believed in something. That was me. I, I was working for my father. He was in the, in the clothing business. And every night for like five, six years, working, working on this new approach to self-defense until it had enough traction that I said to my dad, hey, I'm out of here. You know, I'm, I'm not in the family business anymore. What's that got to do with fear? During that period, we started doing scenarios and we really revolutionized how to do, you know, force on force scenarios. And I noticed that that people who should have dominated in a, in a self-defense scenario didn't. And you would judge a book by its cover. A guy would come in, he'd have cauliflower ears, busted nose, scabs on his hands. You go, okay, this guy's a street fighter. This guy's a black belt. This guy's a, and we'd have these like, almost like, like a, a controlled fight club, you know, this is like, of course, decades before Fight Club, the movie. But it was like that sort of thing where people knew and every month we'd get together, and we'd beat the shit out of each other with equipment on hockey gauntlets, hockey helmets. I grew up in Canada. These things started back in Canada on the East Coast. We would do, you know, baseball shin guards and we kind of pat ourselves up and we would do these scenarios. And I noticed that only the people that manage their fear manage to fight because we create these very emotional, psychological scenario. So for example, you know, I'd say you come in and sign up for the course. I go, I go, you know, what, what would be your number one fear? And you might go, I don't know, like two or three guys at night and one of them's got a knife. And we go and then like on day two of the seminar, I'd go, okay, Ron, come up here, get this gear on. You'd be like, okay, I'm up next. You have performance anxiety, you know, you're going to fight. And I go, okay, go stand over there in the corner. And then I'd have three role players come out and one of them would have a knife and you'd go, son of a bitch. Like it would, I would replicate what you had identified 
earlier in the seminar as your number one fear. And so even though it was synthetic, it still amplified the performance anxiety. So you, we, we created this, this emotional psychological chaos because what I identified in 1980 was the big mistake all of us, including myself, make in defensive tactics and combatives and self-defense is we practice the physical skill our pursuit of technique is our single greatest hindrance to spontaneity in a real violent encounter. Because the first place we're attacked in a violent encounter is our emotional psychological system. So if you've never thought about weathering that ambush, and that's the little voice in your head that's going, what's going on? Oh shit, what's going on? Oh my God, oh, oh no. Like and you're having this conversation while your brain is scrambling to figure shit out. And you know, We've since like coined our approach evidence-based scenario training, because when you look at CCTV or helmet cam or body cam, you don't see what people practiced in their real fights. Now, this is a long, long circuitous answer to talk to me about no fear. I realized back in the 80s that the probably the most important overlooked and misunderstood part of our arsenal was our ability to navigate the, the emotional psychological fight we had with ourselves, we created a, a protocol called the three fights. The first fight is always between you and you. The second fight is between you and the opponent. And then the third fight, depending on who and where and when, is with mainstream media. Uh, if you're in law enforcement, the third fight is internal affairs and mainstream media. If something just happened with you, you know, in a parking lot and you, you maybe you hit somebody too hard or you didn't react. Your third fight was lying in bed at night going, why did I do that? Oh my God. And your third fight was conscience and accountability. Um, so we were very holistic and very deep, very introspective way back before that was cool in the eighties. But all of that, we didn't have the, the, the name No Fear back then. Back then we just called it, in fact, we had a, a name, Cerebral Self-Defense, The Mental Edge. And it was a component we actually have a video that was released in uh, 1986 of that title. And then an audio, 1993, I released that, Cerebral Self-Defense. So we're really always investigating, you know, th this whole idea of fear and fear management. And it's funny, just as a joke, as an aside, I grew up afraid of everything, which is why my fascination was I was afraid. I was a very good athlete. I could play any sport, but I was so afraid of of am I this good? I feel this good, but why am I so scared? And I would ask the question, if I'm so good, why am I so scared? Because no one ever explained to me that the physiological changes, the state changes, parasympathetic, sympathetic, overthinking, butterflies, sweaty palms. No one ever said, dude, that's just adrenaline. That's just you getting ready for action. I assumed it was, I suck. And because why would I feel this way? And, um, so in the when I was when I was I guess I guess in my twenties is when the No Fear Company, the No Fear Company, which was an adrenaline company, you know, skateboarding and motocross and BMX, they came out and I bought every one of their shirts because I wanted I wanted to be living with no fear, and um, I just assumed it was me because it's not something that macho guys or Type A personalities, male or female talk about nobody gets together and says in a group hey guys i'm scared shitless hey let's talk about my uh public speaking fear before my talk we pretend you go up to somebody and you go hey you okay yeah yeah why you know like we dismiss it or or we you know we pretend that shit doesn't affect us but it really affected me and i had a 
a hidden agenda with all my students is I use them as as guinea pigs trying to figure out how to how to unlock this key for me. And that comes now full circle. There's a 15 minute answer of me realizing, you know what, the the number one ingredient on the side of the box of courage is fear. That if you didn't have fear, you couldn't have courage. Because if you did something courageous, it meant by all definitions, there was fear involved. If I said to you, hey, why'd you run into that burning building? And you go, well, I was trying to get burned alive, but it didn't work out. I ended up saving a person. (laughs) Well, that was courageous. No, I was actually trying to kill myself. A funny joke. I I just got back from Florida a few weeks ago. We had our annual combatives camp. And one of the guys at the camp was a professional firefighter. That was his job. And he brought his son to the, to the gig. And I had, he introduced me early, introduced me to his son, said, I'm a firefighter. So I happened to know only because of this introduction, he was a firefighter. And we were doing a talk on no fear. And this whole, the, the topic, the main thing was you can't be brave if you're not afraid. And it was this, it's this such a potent reframe because we are all afraid all the time for little things. It could be prepping for a meeting where you're putting too much emphasis on the uh, potential outcome. This will change my life if I get this deal. This will, if I lose this fight, I could die. And we're putting, we're focusing on the future, right? So I love the acronym, false expectations appearing real. It's when I'm visualizing a future event that is debilitating me in the present. And I can't, and I, and I, I it's, just, it's just changing how I move emotionally, psychologically, physically. And I'm all over the place right right now, stream of consciousness. But in, in 1993, I wrote an article for the law enforcement community called The Theory of Presumed Compliance. The most important paragraph in there is, and this is, and I say this because I want, like this predates a lot of the most important neuroscience that we've learned in the last 10 or 12 years about how, how the brain actually functions, how courage actually works and bravery. And so a lot of these, these principles evolved out of that incubation period in the 80s, where I said, how you think affects how you feel, but wait, how you feel affects how you think. That's, that does this, it flips flops, and both of those affect how and when you move. Most of us practice block-based training, not brain-based training, and we, go, we, we learn things in stages. So we're focusing on the technique, the movement, the technical, but it's not Socratic. It's not brain-based. There's no, there's nothing organic about it. And I believe that is why most people fuck shit up in their life because it's, it's just too automaton. It's too regimented. And then when somebody introduces a stimulus that wasn't accounted for, mm-hmm. it creates self-doubt. And the moment self-doubt starts, you hesitate. And even if you're really skilled, even if you're the best fighter in the world, the best driver in the world, the best gunfighter in the world, the best singer in the world, if you have a moment of doubt, doubt always creates hesitation. If you don't have the self-awareness to check that, right? So someone says, hey, are you afraid of public speaking? No. Well, then talk to this crowd. Oh, fuck. I didn't know now, right? And then I remember, wait a minute. I know to talk. I know my material. I'm funny, I'm smart, whatever you have to say to yourself. And then you guys gotta, I just gotta press play and start going, right? So doubt creates hesitation. Hesitation creates procrastination. Procrastination, unchecked, becomes fixation. 
fixation unchecked becomes non-clinical anxiety. Suddenly, I'm like looking at you and I gave you a task to do. And I said, hey guys, I need this done by tomorrow. And you all of a sudden you go, oh, shit, I'm not gonna start this, it's gonna be late on. And I go, I come in, I go, hey, did you get that done? And you're like, what, what? And you you realize you wasted five minutes or five hours or five days because you've got doubt about it. And so this became this whole, again, it's a much bigger body of work than this little answer. This became the shift of, there's no such thing as no fear and no fear. What there is, is self-awareness, recognizing a fear spike, a change in state, and then saying, you know what, I got to get to know that fear. Because if I understand it, I change its, its the shadow, the hold on me. I mean, I've worked with pro athletes and stuff like that, where they go, man, I so I couldn't sleep last night. I thought I was going to die. I go, you're nervous about this competition. Yeah. So, so tell me about it. They go, man, I just feel like I'm going to die. You know, I just want to like a, a jump out of my skin. I like, I go, so how many times have you had this feeling? And they're like, well, every time before this. And I go, well, how many times have you died? And they go, what? I go, how many times have you died as a result of that? Because you said you thought you were going to die. They go, ha ha, funny. I've never died. I go, well, then fuck fear, man. And they're like, what? I go, tell fear to go fuck itself. Like, what are you talking about? And I share, I created an acronym for fuck fear. Face it, understand it, control it, know it. Those four steps change your relationship with fear. And it's super simple, right? I get a fear spike. I need the self-awareness to go, whoa, I just hesitated now. I said, hey, go fire that person. Go ask that person for a raise. Tell that person we need to go to therapy. Tell that person we're getting a divorce. Tell that person you want to go out on a date. Uh, you need to defend yourself now. You need to lift this weight you don't believe you can lift. Wherever it is, fear shows up and fear throttles everything we do at a noxious, almost most of the time unconscious level. And so you got to cultivate this self-awareness to go, whoa, why did I hesitate there? Unpack that. And then go, so the only way, what's that What's that fucking acronym again with fear? Oh yeah, fuck fear, <laughs> right? Fuck fear, face it. So now when I face it, now I can go to, you know, Google and go, what am I afraid of here? Like, and, and I can start, who should I talk to? What should I read about this? Because when I do that, I demystified this fear of the unknown. And now I'm beginning to understand it. And and the biggest reframe here is a lot of people when, when they, they hire me to come into their company or to work with their family or to, or to, and it's, again, it's nothing to do with self-defense unless you holistically think your ability to perform better in life is a form of self-defense, right? It's, it's, it's how to come over, overcome adversity proactively. And so they'll go, okay, so I just paid you for this lesson. I got it. It's great. Yeah. So I was still afraid this week. I didn't say your fear was going to be gone. It's a fear management program, Right. It's like managing hunger. You eat, right? So, but you're going to be hungry tomorrow. So you don't, you don't, if, if any stimulus in your life has risk and challenge, it's that threshold of like, man, this, this could go either way. I could fail. I could succeed. You're, that's supposed to create an element of, of anxiety, of arousal in your body. So it's just teaching people. And there's a shit. I, I wish if I had a time machine, if you said to me, hey, here's one of our questions. You know, if you go back in time, I go, I wish somebody had created the No Fear program, taught it to me when I was 10, because <laughs> I didn't ask that girl out when I was 12. I was afraid of my bar mitzvah. I thought I was going to throw up. I, I let those bullies bully me around. I didn't do this. I, I felt this thing all because of fear. 
right? I never podiumed in all the sports I was good at because I was afraid to let down the team, afraid to let down my parents or afraid that. And so fear has haunted me, you know, my whole life. And, and so that's, that's really, you know, what it is, is that you can't be brave if you're not afraid and that there is no courage without fear. And I started to tell you, I got to do this. I know I haven't shut up for 15 minutes here, but I told you about the firefighter in Florida. So I asked this class, we we're talking about bravery and courage. And I said, how many of you, and I told him, I said, I can ask this question, don't answer. I said, how many of you, and there were like 60 something people in the room. I said, how many of you know for a fact that you would run into a burning building to save a kitten, to save a grandma, to save a kid, to save somebody. If somebody went, oh my God, help me, my dog's in there. That you know for a fact. And everyone looked at me. Because that's, that's kind of a bold, I know for a fact I'd run into a burning building. And, and one of the ladies near the front, she says, I'd like to think that we would do the right, that we could manifest that courage. I go, that's very honest of you, cool. And I go, I, look at, I looked at the firefighter. And I go, what about you? Would you run into a burning building to say somebody? He goes, yeah. You're sure? He goes, yeah. So I look at the group. They're looking at him. I go, this guy's a firefighter. He actually hopes there's a burning building. As sick as that sounds, that's his job. If there's no burning buildings, he doesn't get to work. And so what I was explaining was you can stress inoculate. You can do, you can do scenarios and get good at a skill set so you know you will do what you have to do when it's time to be the courageous bystander or protect yourself or do whatever, you know, do that talk. But people who coming back full circle, you know, is there such a thing as fearlessness? That's semant literally no, but semantically possible, right? So that, that firefighter could go, I'm not afraid to run into a burning building. And I go, well, then why do you put on your fire retardant clothing? Oh, because I don't want to get burned. So you're afraid of getting burned, right? It's semantics. We're joking around. Well, why are you wearing that mask? Well, because I'll die if I don't. So you're afraid of dying. Well, in other words, we can get contrarian and cute, but he's learning to fuck fear, face it, understand it, control his fear. And now we can deploy a strategy. Right, right. Through training, right? Because if we're trained to respond and react, same with military members, we are able to handle the uncertainty and what comes with it. But what about the people, my question for you, what, what about the people that aren't trained to do the F-U-C-K acronym that you just gave, which number one is to face it? What if you have no training? And I think back to, like you said, gosh, I wish I'd known this when I was younger, don't we all, right, Ron? Like, right. Don't we all? What yeah. about for younger people that haven't had this training, haven't had this exposure and say, I don't want to face my fear. If I face it, then I'll be debilitated. If I just ignore it and press through it, that'll be better. What do you say to those people to get them to try it the first few times? Well, like, so whenever I can, I'll do talks like this to people who are educating kids. I, I did one amazing podcast with a group where there were 70 teenagers on it, like writing down fuck fear. And <laughs> I was getting, I was getting emails from them after about how, how potent it was and how, you know, a, a lot of it is really presenting it in, in, in a way that the, is relatable. If I had said to them something pedantic, that made them feel obsequious, two words they don't even know how to spell and they don't even know what they mean. And that's a lot of the problem. It's one of the reasons our program is so effective. I actually have, there's a um, psychologist, 
on the East Coast with a a, a special uh, focus bias on PTSD for vets. We stay in touch, but two years later, he calls me up. He says, your cycle of behavior, how do you make decisions under duress? I got this whole program called the Neural Circuitry of Fear. And our timeline of violence, understanding how to detect, diffuse, defend. But we do this at, at internal, external. We need to talk about our self-awareness and our self-talk because self-awareness informs situational awareness. So the, the, the people you can't communicate with are the people who have no self-awareness and therefore their situational awareness is totally skewed. They don't know. They're looking at shit through these shitty glasses and that's how they think the world is. So I'm, I'm, I'm inching back to answer your question. But, the, but this guy, Jeff, he calls me up two years later. He says, I just want to say that this is more effective than anything I've learned in 20 years of psychology. And I was like, holy shit, Jeff, can I use that as a quote? And he said, like, absolutely. He has vets coming in now saying things like this. Hey, my buddy's doing sessions with you. And he said to come in and ask for that Blower shit. So they refer to my life's work as Blower shit. I've created a simple script map that a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 30-year-old, or, or a, a warfighter vet can look at and go, you're here. This is the fear loop. You need to get through this. So when I talk to somebody who goes, I'm scared, I, I guide them giving them using nomenclature, and I use the big word on purpose, using nomenclature that's appropriate to them. Real world example. And a lot of it is also facilitation. You're both uh, coaches and mentors and teachers. You can be discussing a class and an idea at a, at a, at a 31,000 foot view, knowing that, okay, these 20 year olds, we can't come in at that level. Right, right. We, we yeah. got to go, hey, did you guys see that Justin Bieber video, right, where he says this? And they're going, Justin yeah. who? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but they, you find a way to create rapport and create connection and you get that no like trust factor. And then you go, let me share the big idea now. We have a, a protocol called D1, D2, D3. D1 is detect and avoid. D2 is defuse and deescalate. D3 is defend. It's an internal, external exercise. I need to be situational. My D1 situational awareness is my self-awareness. My D2 is my self-talk. And my D3 is why do I need to fight and for what I'm fighting for? Uh, and it could be a relationship or it could be it could be a violent encounter. So it's a really neat, a simple, again, simple, simple protocols. And I think that's one of the things that makes our systems so effective because I've worked on from uh, tier one operators all the way down to like women's shelters and everyone in between. How, how is it possible that, that the system could apply to all these people? Because it's holistic and it's the only system in the world that's entirely based on behavior and the sciences of physiology, physicality, biomechanics, physics, and, and the, the sciences of psychology. How do we think? How do we learn? That neuro, the neurobiology of fear. And I tell people this, and they, they, people love to argue, as you know, is I say, under every decision we make, this is my hypothesis, is fear. If I said, hey, I'm coming to town, let's go to dinner. And you went, yeah, Tony was cool. And shit, he's, got, he's like, got more whiteboards than us. We love him. Where should we take him? Where should we take him is a fear-based question. It's not 
this type of fear, guys. It's not, oh shit, what if, he, if Tony's a fighter? What if he doesn't like sushi and he punches it? No, it's not that type of fear. It's, I want to make a good impression. I want to, sure. I want to have fun. I want, I want us to have a good time. I want us to connect. What should I wear tonight? How's my hair? These are all. And sure. I, fear of rejection, you, right? Yeah. So it's like fear of acceptance, fear of rejection, fear of fitting in, fear. Of, and it's subtle when you understand that it changes your self-awareness to the point of, you know, I'm 61. My hair's thin. I mostly wear T-shirts uh, and jeans. But all if I'm going out on a date with my wife or I'm getting going to somewhere important, I'll stand there in front of the mirror and I'll go. And then I go, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> right, right. Get the fuck out of the house. But it's that that moment we don't realize, but that's face it, understand it, control it, know it. And then you just go. And so here's a, here's a, on a wild tangent here, but I love doing this in my business seminars. When you understand fear management, fear management equals time management. Because when you manage your fear, you manage your time. So if I say to you, I need you to make 10 sales calls today. And you're outside smoking your third cigarette because you're afraid of rejection because you got a quota and you're on commission. Like fear management would solve that. If, if you got punched twice and you haven't started defending yourself, why are you hesitating? Like you're losing time and violence loves speed. What are you doing? You need to move faster. Well, the mind navigates the body, right? So that's a whole other podcast talk on fear management equals time management. Sorry, I'm fascinated. Can, can we spin this back around? You know, you yeah. talk about this underlying issue. So, I, you know, one of the big things that I get from people is, and you mentioned it earlier, is public speaking. I have a fear of public speaking. So, Tony, I'm coming to you, and I, I know this this is probably a, a more in-depth conversation than, than a minute or two, but, Tony, I'm coming to you, and I, I'm fearful of this, this presentation i got to give. What are some quick things that you would tell me to get past my fear? So let me ask you, are you role-playing or are you actually afraid of public speaking? I am not, but I used to be. But, okay. I, but gosh, a lot of people come to me and say yeah. uh, they're afraid well, of it. It's, it's as, as you know, as, as all of us coaching performance love to remind people, number one fear in the world is public speaking, mm. right? Not getting eaten by a shark, although it's up there. <laughs> But I, I would make this, I make this joke when I, when I do my talk on public speaking, because of people know what my background is. I said, would you rather make a speech or be dragged to a secondary crime scene, tortured, raped, and then murdered? And they're like, oh yeah, make a speech. Oh, so you're not, so public, we just changed the order there and we're, and you know, it's morbid, but it makes people laugh. But what I tell people really simple, well, it's obviously a deeper answer. But what I explain to people is that what they're doing is they are focusing on a future fear because they've associated some uh, judgment that that becomes an outcome from this talk. Hmm. If they knew that no matter what they did at the end of the talk, they were getting paid their 10 grand, 20 grand, no matter what. But if they think if I don't do well, word gets out this business is done. Now they're focusing on, this is the false expectations appearing real. They're fo fo focusing on the future and it's gotta be a negative detrimental movie in your mind that's debilitating in the present. So one of the things I do is as an exercise, when someone says to me, oh, you're afraid of public speaking, like tell me, 
tell me a little bit about yourself. And they go, well, you know, I was born in a log cabin. I was raised by wolves, blah, blah, blah. They tell me their whole life story. <laughs> and then I go, okay, tell me about your friends. Tell me about your circle. Uh, t- tell me about the things you love. Tell me about your things you do. And I go, so I've been listening to talk for like five minutes and you don't stutter. You don't stammer. You're lucid. You're eloquent. You're elegant. How could you be afraid of talking? Because you just spoke for five minutes. I mean, that could have been a speech, right? And they go, well, I'm not afraid of talking to you. I'm afraid of talking like to a group. Well, so like if we went out to dinner with your wife or your husband and your kids, you wouldn't talk because it's a group. And they go, no, silly. I mean, like, like a bigger group. Like, so like, what if you were at your high school reunion talking to all people? They go, no, no, no. And what I'm doing is I'm peeling the onion until they finally say, now, I don't know what it is, but they say, I'm afraid of talking to a group where that one person's looking at me and they identify the CEO of another company that, that he wants to impress or whatever it is. Or, you know, there's a girl or a guy there that I really need to make an impression of. They've, again, created this, this fixation on an outcome as opposed to give your speech, do mm. your talk. Right. Um, so it's peeling that onion and you can't... So. A lot of people, when they hire me, they they want me to help them overcome a specific fear. And that's not what I do. And it's super hard. And let me qualify that. What I teach people is how to manage their fear, not for me to manage their fear. Okay. So I'm not like like a doctor going to cut it out and go, okay, you know, you're good. It's it's maybe something that's going to, right now, it, it debilitates you. And then in a week or a month, it'll haunt you. And then a week or a month, it'll annoy you. And then every so often you go, yeah, I forgot about that. Right. And it's this evolution. So, so what we do, and it's weird because people want the math. They want to go, so I'm going to pay you for this. And then this will be gone. Go, no, this isn't like hypnotism. And you don't want that because you don't want, know in the roller coaster that is life. You don't know what your next fear is. You don't know what it is. So you need a system that's dynamic and organic, just like life, where mm. you drop it in and you go, what's my scenario? I had these positive expectations and I'm in the fear loop right now. What should I do? And then to understand it's face it, understand it, control it, know it there. There's a bedside manner to delivering it. It's not, it's not, you know, like general Patton in world war II, that classic story of him smacking one of the guys, you know, you know, and, and, and going like, you, you're no crying here, get out there and fight. Like, you know, we're, you know, we're talking about this pre-show that, that people don't respond to that. That's how I grew up in the sixties. That's how I learned, right. You didn't, you weren't asked to do things. You were, you were told. And, and there was, there was, a a, in the ass. There, there was, a, there was an immediate repercussion if you weren't moving. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't work too much, uh, especially with the younger generation. This, this no right now. So we've, we've talked a, a lot about fear and it's, we'll put in the show notes, how you can get in touch with Tony and work with Tony clearly expert in the field of neuroscience when it comes to battling the fear loop and what you're going through. But Tony, let's switch to failure. What are your thoughts on failure in the sense of what is one of your biggest failures that uh, you think people can learn from? That's a whole other show. I know. Uh, right. Right. So, <laughs> so listen, bluntly, I hate failing anybody who did, you know, and, and there's lots of cute memes out there. You know, Chuck Norris allegedly said, I've never lost a fight because I learn every time I lose. And there's all that cute shit, but, and it's true. 
but it's okay to be pissed at first, right? You know, it depends on, on, on the circumstances. You know, the, the 30,000 foot view is what do I learn. I don't want this to happen again. Next time I need, I didn't realize I didn't have an alternate plan. I didn't have a contingency. I didn't have an, an emergency plan. You know, it's not well thought out. I didn't train. But my thoughts on, on failures, it's an, an, an opportunity to reinvent yourself. And, and one of the things that when I'm training cops, military, or pro fighters, I ask them this question, are you training for your next fight or are you training for your last fight? And they're like, what? I go, most of you are training for your last fight. I go, what do you mean? Because if you win your last fight, you're in the gym going, I did this, it was successful. Your, un your unconscious bias is to continue to replicate what you did in the past because that was successful. If you really lost your last fight, you're thinking about who took you down. I'll never let that happen. And you're unconsciously visualizing how that happened again, as opposed to reinventing yourself. So this whole, I remember reading this like decades ago, be willing to give up who you are today for who you could become tomorrow. And failure is the fastest kick in the balls, kick in the ass. If once you've weathered it, if you then take its lessons and then rebuild yourself. And I've got... So listen, I, I, you know, in 2010, we had just done a $17 million order with the Department of Defense for some gear that I designed. The, the administration changed, the military went in sequestration. A guy who was my partner, I probably shouldn't say this online, but he screwed me with my COO. And I went from running domestic, a $12 million company with 12 staff, to a week later, no company, mm. no revenue. Yeah, and I was 50 years old. And I had three kids and a wife and a, and a big house and, and everything just went and stopped. It took me five years to rebuild that, right? And what I realized, and this is really interesting, is I had done, I've done some film work, stunt work and stuff like that. And, and I was working on uh, Rocky with Stallone and Tommy Morrison. And Stallone had this pendant that I asked him about, we were talking, we had gotten a little close because he was really interested in the fighting shit, obviously. And his pendant said DTA. And I was like, what does DTA stand for? He goes, don't trust anyone. And when this happened to me, I went, that's my next tattoo. Don't trust anyone. I just almost lost everything. And had I, had I not had a wife and kids, I was so angry. I might've done something really stupid. And I didn't, and I had to rebuild myself and, and get myself out of, out of this area. And that's why I moved to, one of the reasons I moved to California. And it was horrific. I was embarrassed. I was mortified. I was a failure. I failed. How did I not see this coming? Everything that I teach people in self-defense, I failed to apply to myself in business. And I was like, holy shit. I was more mortified and, and embarrassed than, than, than anything. And it was keeping me down and then slowly rebuilt and when I went to get this tattoo, I got it on the back of my, my, my calf. The guy writes, he says, here, how do you like it? Because you, this is the last chance to make a change. Because once I tattoo this, it's tattooed. And he's got DTA, that coach. I, I call it the three eyes, instincts, intuition, intelligence. Take a moment. Take a breath. What are your instincts telling you? What's your intuition telling you? If you combine instincts and in intuition, what's gonna happen next is intelligence based on where you are in your life at that time. 
And I was sitting there, something started to nag me. Now imagine how angry I was. Imagine the ego associated with being a CEO of a multi-million dollar company. The name was Blower Tactical Systems, right? I'm well known in the, in the military law. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this is out of business. I dissolved the company and I got nothing. And I'm in a legal battle for all my IP. And I'm about to, to tattoo, don't trust anyone. And I stopped the guy and I said, stop. Change it to DTE. And he goes, what's that? I go, don't trust everyone. I don't want to live a life not trusting anybody. That's a horrible way to live. And so my biggest, I had wicked goosebumps right now, because that was like a huge profound moment where I was about to go down this path of darkness, no equity. I'm not talking to never a partner again, never, no, 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 hoarding everything because I got fucked as opposed to owning the failure, recognizing that I made a lot of mistakes and that the biggest mistake is that I trusted everyone. And if you want to come back resilient, you've got to face your fear. You've got to understand what you brought to that so that you can evolve. And, and now I'm, you know, I mean, much smarter, more successful businessman for having that experience. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media. 